Good morning. We've come to maybe the most difficult passage in the Scripture. It's not difficult in the sense that it's hard to understand. It's difficult because it reveals the side of God that is terrifying. If this passage doesn't bother us at all, then we're not thinking very deeply about what this passage is saying. This passage describes to us the wrath of God. And this is the judgment of God. And it reveals to us the wickedness of mankind. There's only two choices here. Either God is just or he is unjust. He is either vindictive or this is what people deserve. And if this is what people deserve, then that is a frightening thought indeed. How can a God who does something like this be a good God? This is most definitely not a children's story. This is a horror story. God is about to wipe out every single thing, not just human beings, but everything that draws breath on the face of the earth. He is going to completely destroy. So we need to figure out why he's done that and what keeps him from doing it again. Why is it that he did not complete his task and kill everyone? So let's look at Genesis chapter 6. I'll start reading in verse 11. Last week we saw that Noah found grace in the eyes of God. And this is what follows. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark. Cover it inside and out with pitch. And this is how you are to make it. You are to make it the ark 300 cubits, its breadth 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above. And set the door of the ark on its side. Make it with a lower second and third deck. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which the breath of life in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your son's wife with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark and keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort you shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve for food for you and for them. And Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Let's talk about the corruption of the earth, the corruption of mankind. We saw in the last passage, the Lord said that the evil of man was so great that he regretted making them. And that the intentions and inclinations of the heart of mankind was only for evil all the time. And so the Lord decided... To destroy the creation that he's made over and over again. In this passage and the one before it says, Because of them, violence is increased on the face of the earth. Violence, violence, violence. Remember we said a few, uh, again, a couple of weeks ago, and it said they were mighty men, men of valor. This is term for warriors. War was widespread. People were being killed all over the face of the earth, and God had grown weary of it. And so here's the question. Is it really so bad out there? That God could be justified in ending all life on earth. Are people really that corrupt? The Lord said the earth is 
filled with violence. Is that still the case? I look it up to see if it was the case. There is an estimate made by the worldwide statistics of casualties, disasters, and atrocities. You can look up from statistics from the United Nations as well. Between the year 1900 and the year 1999, between 123 million and 160 million people were killed in war. 123 million to 160 million. So if we were to spread that out, it's not how it works, but let's just say we did. There's a lot more wars that happen than we're familiar with, obviously. That means we killed each other at a rate of 1.23 to 1.6 million people every year. That's the equivalent of the entire state of Montana being killed every year, give or take another half a million people. So probably Montana and Rhode Island's entire populations wiped out every year from war. 2012, the United Nations estimated that almost half a million people were murdered in 2012 alone. Now in 1000 BC, which is about 1,000 years after or so, 1,600 years or so after Noah's flood, there were only 50 million people by estimate on the entire face of the earth. If violence was catastrophic then in Noah's day, what can be said of our own day about violence being spread all over the world? And here's the question. So when I gave you those statistics about war, did it bother you at all that 160 million people were killed in 100 years in war? And that's half of those or better were civilians, people who were not soldiers. Does it bother you? Or are you just like, well, that's just war? What does it say about us that we've grown so used to shooting and killing that we just think it's part of it? Is God's judgment that wickedness and evil is on the heart and violence is on the heart of men all the time still true today? And I think that statistically it's beyond dispute. We make money killing each other. It's a it's an industry. Total depravity is the truest of all doctrines in Christianity. Not truest in the sense that all the rest aren't as true. It's just the easiest to prove. It's the easiest to demonstrate with statistics. We are beyond doubt not good people. The earth is not populated with good people. We are born in sin and trespass. And God's judgment is right. And there's a reason he grew weary of putting up with the violence. If he said that the blood of innocent Abel was crying out to him from the ground, what would he say now? We always sort of shift the blame. You know, we're not involved in war. We've never killed anybody. We've never done anything. Well, our country's been in a perpetual state of war nearly since the year 1990. And what are we doing? Do you know? Are we doing right? Have we considered it? If we're not, does that make us complicit as voters who never say anything? And if it is right, what are we supposed to do? It doesn't count the number of of children that are aborted every year. This place is filled with wickedness and bloodshed and violence. And as the Lord, as my, (laughs) the Lord would say, this place stinks to high heaven. I don't know if the Lord would say that, but my mom did. What is the judgment of God then? He says, I'm going to end all flesh. Noah, get your kids and their wives and you make for yourself an ark because I'm killing everybody. 
Everything that has breath is gone. And as a side note, just as a, to help you read through the Old Testament, he tells Noah to get clean and unclean animals on the ark, right? You see that. Well, the law of Moses distinguishing between which is clean and unclean has not come yet. So Noah knew some stuff, and I'm telling you, there are things that people knew in the Old Testament before Moses that we don't, we don't realize that they knew unless we look for clues like that. Noah knew the difference between clean and unclean clean creatures. And so God said that he was going to wipe out every living thing on the face of the earth because the corruption of mankind was so great. And my point in pointing out that all the things that they were doing in Noah's day, so we are still doing now, is to indicate that the wrath and judgment of God still hangs over this earth. At any time, he can judge us and be justified in what he done, what he does. If Noah's flood is justified, or God's flood that Noah was rescued from is justified, then God will be justified today for judging the world and ending all flesh that is upon the earth. And when we talk about the wrath of God, what do you think of? Because this passage gives to us an insight about what the wrath of God looks like. You probably just think of some kind of furious anger where God is just mad and he just wiped out the earth. Because that's what our anger is like a lot of times. Our anger is not a slow burn. We just sort of flash and get mad and take care of business or whatever we think we've got to do. But that's not how this passage is described. God's wrath is closer to sorrow than it is anger in this path. He's weary and he's regretting that he made the people. He is sorrowful. The wrath of God is sorrowful. And every man, woman, and child on the face of the earth was drowned to death. No one was spared. Except for Noah and his family. All the babies drowned. All the people drowned. Everyone drowned. And that, that's why the story of Noah's Ark, we do it a disservice both to ourselves and children when we do try to make it pretty and turn it into a children's story. This is not a pretty story at all. This is a horror story. These are people being killed in a great deluge and no one surviving, people screaming for their lives and they are not spared. God had grown weariness of the wickedness of mankind and he's weary of it today. He's tired of it. He is weary of the killing that's happening in Syria. He's tired of that. He's weary of the murders in Birmingham, Alabama. He's tired of wicked people profiting at the expense of the poor. He is weary with all of it. And as Jonathan Edwards so eloquently explained, the wrath of God is like a torrential flood to this day. And the only thing that's holding back the wrath of God is the patience of God. But one day the dam will burst and the wrath of God will sweep away all living things before it. God's wrath will sweep away the wicked like dry grass in a fire. It will be no, there will be no, nowhere for them to go, nothing to do. It will be over. The book of Revelations describes the day that is coming like this. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling on the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? People hiding in holes in the ground, begging the holes to kill them so that they do not have to face the wrath of God Almighty. There is no escape from it when his wrath comes. 
Bible says in chapter 7, verse 6, Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wives and his sons' wives with them went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground. Two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. And uh, just a couple of verses above it, in verse 4, it says, I, For in seven days I will send rain on the earth for forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made will blot out, I will blot out from the face of the ground. And again, Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. He sat in the ark for seven days before the rain started. How do you think that felt? What were those seven days like? Seven days, everyone we've known is going to die. In seven days, this world is going to end. They sat in the ark and waited for the wrath of God. Knowing that there would be no escape for those outside the ark. Now, the question for us is if we are prepared for the great and terrible day for the judgment a second time, the Lord is not going to destroy the earth again in the same way that he did before. He's not going to flood it. He's going to burn it. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 20 through 22, it says this, Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Peter points out to us that the ark of God is like being baptized into Christ. And so you imagine those eight people shut in. By the way, it says that the Lord shut them in when they went in. He shut the door. You can speculate as to why that is. If Noah can build an ark that big, surely he can shut the door, he can close. But the Lord shut him in to make sure he stayed in. Because how would you be in seven days knowing that everyone was fixing to die? What would be going through your mind in that ark with all those creatures and all that noise? What's going through your mind now? Because we, like Noah, are inside the ark, the ark of Christ. And every single person you know that is outside that ark will surely perish in the floodwaters of God's wrath. Everyone you know that is not in Christ is going to perish. If you are not in Christ, you are going to perish. Every single thing that we do, everything that we think, everything, every way we behave, should indicate to others that we live a holy and upright life because there is a holy and just God who one day will judge the earth. Our lives are serious. That doesn't mean that we can't have fun. It means that when we have fun, we ought to be serious about it. Everything we do matters. There are people outside the ark. You probably have spoken with some today. How will we tell them of the wrath to come? That they might be saved. 
The Noah's Ark story is a picture of a greater judgment to come. Like I said, there were probably only a few million people on the entire earth when Noah's Ark was built. Now we've got approaching 10 billion people. We probably have more people, population, no, it's not probably. There's more people in the southeast than there was on the whole earth in Noah's day. And our duty is to invite them into the ark. That they might be saved from the wrath to come. Now, that doesn't mean that the people in the ark didn't experience the judgment. See, when they were in the ark, they weren't taken up into heaven somewhere. They had to sit in that thing while the earth flooded. They were stuck in this ark for almost a year. 150 days the uh, earth remained flooded. They were in there after that almost a year. They had to wait till everything dried out so they could get out and walk around. So brothers and sisters, as we think about Noah's flood... You've probably heard about it most of your life as uh, pictures of pretty rainbows, right? There's this small boat, and there's like a giraffe's head sticking up somewhere, and there's a pretty rainbow behind it because God's promised he's never going to flood the earth again, and it's real nice, and there's there's uh, animals walking up in the ark, and Noah's standing there like Dr. Doolittle, and birds are landing on his fingers and like Snow White or something, and it looks real happy. But if you look at some of the artists who actually get Noah's Ark, what you'll find is a different story. You'll find people clinging uh, to trying to the press of humanity as they try to get to high ground before the floods sweep them away and people falling into the waters. And every person in the whole paintings is just doomed. That is what it is like. So what we need to not do is forget that there is a judgment coming still that is just as desperate and terrible as the one that came in Noah's day. Jesus said, Behold, I come quickly, right? And so this is why the mission of the church is such an imperative. This is why we can't be wasting our lives focused on things other than how do we help those who don't know Jesus? This life is not about making me happy. In the sense that I will spend all my time, all my luxuries, all my things so that I can be happy and do whatever I want without regard at all to the souls that are around me that are still outside the ark. So every moment, every day, we do everything that we can to glorify God that others might see Christ in us so that they too might escape the wrath to come. This passage gives us a picture of God that we're not used to. We think of God as merciful and patient and kind. And every single one of those things are true even while he's flooding the earth. Because if God drowns a people, it means they don't deserve to live. And every single one of us owe a death for our sin. The beauty of God is that he is a gracious God and he will save us through the broken body of his own son. There's always a price. So that we might be saved. God is just. He is wrathful at sin. And he is ready to judge it. And there is nothing that can stop him when he decides to. So our question is not only are you prepared for that great and terrible day. What are you doing? And I'm not trying to make you panic. 
Like you've got to go out and buy a bunch of tracks and run around to Albertville, hand them out. That would be fine if you got that upset. But seriously, are you plugged into the life of Christ and to the life of the church so that you can start investing in things where we're trying to reach people for Jesus before it's too late for them? Because people are going to die and go to hell. And there are people in our town this way. There are people in a mess. Their lives are messed up. And their only hope is the gospel. Their lives are messed up and they have hell to look forward to. It's awful. There is a serious weight and burden for us to do the great commission of Jesus Christ before it is too late for others. Before the day when people beg for rocks and hills to fall on them. The most terrified I have ever been in my entire life. I like to tell people, and I believe this is true, honestly. I've only been scared once. (laughs) Because that time I was more scared than all the other times in my life put together. And that was the day I met Jesus. I was absolutely horrified. I cannot describe to you the fear that overwhelmed my soul when I knew that Jesus was the risen Lord and I was a sinner. I was terrified. Because I knew that the wrath of God was coming. And I knew I deserved to be its target. No doubt in my mind. I knew it from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. I had been weighed and tried and I was found lacking. And Jesus in his great mercy saved me same night. I went from terror to peace. Has that happened to you? Have you forgotten the terror of the Lord? There is a hell. Robert read about it this morning. It is a place of unquenchable fire where the worm does not die. And, and the, every single person who goes there deserves it. But every single person in this world can avoid it through Christ. Because of his death. Because of his suffering. So that we might be made just in the sight of God. The rescue mission is serious because the sin is serious. So brothers and sisters, when you take Matt's class this week and we talk about the missions that we support. That's why we do it. Not with panic, but with urgency. This is why we look for partnerships so we can help others. This is why we preach God's word every Sunday morning. This is why we invite friends to church. This is why we fellowship with friends. So that we can show them God's love. So that they might come into the ark and be saved. With us. We're in a holding time. We are waiting for Christ's return. One day the trumpet of God will sound. And the dead in Christ will rise. But so will the wicked to judgment. Pray that God will make you wise. Pray that God will help you make the most of every day. Help, pray that God will make you loving and winsome, but just and holy, so that others might see Christ in you, that they might flee the wrath to come. We are to be a happy and joyful people, but we are also to be a serious and burdened people. We don't want to see anyone suffer. 
in the fires of hell. But if they will not repent of their wickedness, that's where they will go. So in every place you do, every sphere of influence you have, you be salt and light there, as Robert read this morning. Everything must be salted with fire, including us. Have salt in yourselves. Use your influence to help others towards Christ and not away. It's a big job. I pray the Spirit of God will make you fit for it. Let's pray. Father, we ask this morning that you will help us. There's a judgment to come. You brought about a flood that wiped out the people of Noah's day. Lord, I pray that you will help us to see that there is another flood of your wrath coming this time by fire. All those who will not worship your son, all those who will not adore him, all those who will not repent of their sin and come to Jesus who will prefer their sin over his kindness, who prefer their sin over his mercy. Lord, help us to win them to Jesus by the power of the Spirit. God, help us to be a people who are always looking to help others get into the ark. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you'll stand, we're going to sing this song. You may feel hopeless this morning. You think these people will never change. They can. They can. On their own. Well, by the power of the Spirit, they can because I do. The Lord can save me. He can save anyone. Let's sing as we think about it.